I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book. We're a podcast for curious, enthusiastic, and engaged readers that will help you discover new books in all genres. It will give you unique insights into your favorite authors and, of course, keep you up to date with what's going on in the literary world. I recently spoke with Gail Honeyman. Uh, She wrote a book that has been on the bestseller list, it seems like forever, called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine. Eleanor Oliphant has even been optioned by Reese Witherspoon's company that's called Hello Sunshine, and there's a rumor that Reese might even star as Eleanor, so stay tuned. We are joined today by Gail Honeyman. Uh, She's the debut author of Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine. This book has been an unbelievable success and has garnered awards like shortlisted for the Lucy Cavendish Fiction Prize, shortlisted for the Bridport Prize, won the Costa First Novel Award in the Scottish Book Trust's Next Chapter Award, named Book of the Year by the British Book Awards. So it is hardly uh, what you would normally expect from a debut book. It is sold to almost 30 territories worldwide, acquired by Reese Witherspoon's production company. And in the U.S. alone, over 300,000 copies have sold. Not bad for a first book, Gail. So uh, Eleanor Oliphant tells the story of Eleanor, who lives a very solitary and lonely life. She eats the same thing for breakfast every day. She goes to work, talks to no one unless she has to. She's never gotten her hair cut, had a manicure, updated her clothes. On Friday, she leaves work, has the same frozen pizza, two bottles of vodka. And as the book progresses, Eleanor is forced to come out of her shell. And I'm not going to I'm not going to have a spoiler here about the reasons for Eleanor's isolation, but what I will say in welcoming Gail, this book does find a way to balance the light and the dark while being utterly hilarious. And although Eleanor is not completely fine, at the end, she's pretty close to completely fine. So, Gail, I'm delighted to welcome you to Just the Right Book. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here and talk to you. So your book deals a lot with loneliness, loneliness in general, but loneliness in young people. And Eleanor, somewhere in the book, says that loneliness is the new cancer. How did you come to this idea? Thank you so much for that amazing introduction. Um, uh, So the idea came a few years ago now, actually. I was... um, reading a newspaper article about loneliness and I don't know what the situation is here in the US but um, certainly a few years ago in the UK loneliness was a topic that just wasn't discussed much at all and if it was discussed it was generally in the context of older people which is obviously a a huge issue but um, this particular piece in the newspaper included an interview with a young woman um, in her 20s and she had a, an apartment and a job, lived in a city, but she said she was lonely and often she'd leave work on Friday night and she wouldn't talk to another human being or have any human contact until she went back to work again on Monday morning. And I was really struck by that, um, firstly because it was so unusual to hear 
a young person mm. articulate that experience of loneliness. And, and then secondly, because that in itself was very different to how the 20-something urban professional life is generally uh, portrayed in the media. You know, it's like parties and incredibly social and, and all that. And I'm sure it is like that for lots of people, but also it's probably not like that for lots of people too. So I started to think, how could a young person find themselves living that kind of life, uh, not by choice and through no fault of their own? And that was the original um, seed and the story of Eleanor Oliphant and the character of Eleanor Oliphant grew out of that. Mm. And do you think this notion of loneliness in young people has always existed or do you think it's something about the culture that exists now that has generated even greater degrees of loneliness? I think that's a really interesting question, um, Roxanne. I think it's hard to know because we haven't really explored loneliness very much. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if we've got an accurate baseline to measure that against. Like we don't know about the way it might have existed because it wasn't common currency to talk about it. It wasn't talked about or reported. Certainly in the UK now, loneliness is a very um, hot topic and it's being discussed a lot more. And in fact, the the government in the UK recently appointed a, a minister for loneliness. Really? Mm-hmm. So we're trying to understand more the impacts both on individuals and on society as a whole of loneliness as it affects lots of different groups in society, different age groups and, and yeah, just disparate parts of, of, of the community. So it is something that's been discussed and talked about more. But in terms of your question, I think it's hard to answer that accurately because, as I say, we just we don't have an accurate kind of baseline to compare the current situation against, I think. Mm. So in Eleanor's case, you know, there are some ways in which I assume somebody thinks she's Asperger's-like because there's a directness in in the way she functions, yet... To me, in reading about her, I think it's more nurture than nature, more yeah, circumstantial. I think, I think you're right. Yeah, that's that's that was my intention. That she's a product of nurture rather than nature, and the results of of trauma, without giving away the plot too much, are are what has has helped to form her character. But I can understand why people might might think that initially, because, yeah, I'm sure there are similarities. But as a result of her being um, a little bit different, she's also very direct in the way that some people that she's dealing with might take offense. You know, the book is now out in paperback, so it's been, you know, around for a year. Have you heard of people having an uncomfortable or negative reaction to her being that way, or do they do they find themselves forgiving that about her? Oh, that's a really interesting question. Um, I've, I've had people say to me that they initially didn't like her at all, and then by the end of reading the novel, they'd come to um, care very much for her mm-hmm. and be a huge um, cheerleader for her, which is a huge compliment. I'm always extremely um, happy when I hear that. But um, that's actually one of the reasons why I chose to write the novel in the first person was because because she is this particular kind of person, mm-hmm. characteristic personality that is odd and a bit challenging and um, yes, she can be quite rude actually and quite difficult but um, in the first person the luxury of the first person voice is that the reader can see 
can have a 360 degree view in, mm. into the character's head and so can understand her motivations, her feelings, her thoughts, her um, impulses. And hopefully that way can empathize with the character because uh, we can see that she doesn't mean any any ill will in her behavior. Her intention is, is not to offend or be rude. The other characters she encounters, particularly her work colleagues, don't have that luxury of seeing why she is the way she is, and, and uh, hopefully some some humor can result from that. <laughs> um, but the, the, I thought the first-person voice was very important for that reason, so that this initially and superficially very difficult, challenging character, um, it, it allows you to explore, as a reader, the reasons behind that in a way that other narrative voices might not permit. I thought that worked really well for not only the reason that you're talking about, that you develop a understanding of Eleanor right away, but the other thing that it accomplished that hadn't occurred to me until we were talking about using the first person is that you experience these first tiny bits of pleasure that she discovers as as she begins to change in a way that you viscerally experience with her. It's a very close first-person voice, yeah. So, I mean, hopefully, my hope is that, you you know, you're kind of sitting on her shoulder with her, as you say, yeah, going through all this with her and, and empathizing, yeah. So the other thing that was that I thought was just beyond wonderful is Eleanor takes like little baby steps towards self improvement. Um, you know, starting with a, a bikini wax and a hairdresser and shopping for clothes and uh, makeup and and all of that. And and what you manage to do is make sure that we were laughing with her and and not at her. What, what do you think contributed to that working? And which one of these self-improvement activities was your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for saying that. I was, I was very conscious throughout when I was trying to use humor in the novel that we, we did not laugh at Eleanor. She's not a figure of fun. She's mm-hmm. not a figure of ridicule. She's, she's the heroine of the story. Um, so I, I worked very hard to, to make sure that, that, that the laughter was never at her expense. Um, yeah, which one is my favourite? It's hard to pick just one. It was, they were all so much fun to write. Yeah. Because... They were fun it, to read. Oh, that's good to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it, it was basically um, the exercise in writing was as though she, she's hatched from an egg. As, a, as an intelligent, educated 29-year-old when we first meet her, but she's never done all of these or encountered these everyday situations that the rest of us have encountered usually um, quite frequently, like go, going to get your hair done or, yeah, going for a makeover at, at a counter. So it was so much fun to just to think, what would this be like if you had never done it before and, and try and see it through her eyes and, and try and reflect that in the prose. So, yeah, I had a lot of fun writing it. You know, I think the one I would pick is my favorite because, I don't know, there was something about that scene of her buying her first outfit, and she had just the right salesperson who at first was, you know, obviously a little dismayed uh, with this creature that just didn't know <laughs> how to go about this, but then sort of went was on her team. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think um, I mean, another sort of key theme that I, I try to touch on throughout the novel is kindness mm. and, and really tiny acts of kindness and, and how, much, how much of an impact they can have, how transformative they can be if they happen at the right time to the right person by and performed by the right person. So, yeah, it's not, it doesn't take much for that salesperson to be kind and be gentle and, and, and to recognize that this is someone who, who needs a bit more help than, than many, many other customers she's had that day or week probably. But the impact is disproportionately huge on, on Eleanor herself. Yeah. yeah. So Eleanor develops a uh, friendship with Raymond, who's a co-worker at her job, and he's the IT guy. And he's the first one that I think exhibits a kind of kindness to her that begins her own process of being awakened to the possibilities. But I also get the feeling that it might have had the same impact on Raymond. Did you imagine it that way? Um, one of the things about about kindness in general is is performing an act of kindness um, is hugely beneficial to the recipient, mm-hmm. but it also makes you feel feel really good as well. It's a, exactly. a virtuous uh, circle. So I, I guess to that extent, yes. Um, Raymond is he's a he's never going to turn any heads. He's um, he's pretty scruffy, badly dressed guy. He's not particularly good looking. Um, but he's just a really decent, kind, mm. non-judgmental, patient man. And uh, th- those qualities are the qualities that help Eleanor slowly to start to feel safe with him and to start to maybe open up some parts without giving away the plot, start to um, look into places in her life that she hasn't looked before and um, explore her past in ways that she hasn't been able to before. Um, but it's that quality of kindness and, and being non-judgmental that, that Raymond exhibits that, that allows her to start to do that. So he's a, he's a really important um, character and plays a really important role in her life. I think there are lots of um, people like Raymond in the world. You know, as I say, mm. they're, they're, not, they're never going to turn any heads. They're not going to... Um, they're just quietly going about being really decent, kind people, um, but they don't often get written about in fiction. Yeah, I do think in this day and age where there's so much about differences that there isn't enough talked about about the sameness and and the kind of kindness that exists in what someone might call invisible people. Um, I, I just uh, human connection is is just really important, isn't it? That's the thing, and and it's it's so important for Eleanor. It's what's been missing in her life, and and it's it's absolutely fundamental to helping her go from someone who's a survivor of life to someone who can fully live a full life. I think. So, Gail, when you write, is the plot worked out in your mind, or I've heard some writers say the character sort of directs them which which works for you well um for this novel um it's very much a character driven novel um because so, in terms of plot not a lot happens really it's not you know it's um it, it she, someone gets a haircut someone goes to a party it's not exactly a a, a crazy roller coaster ride of a plot you know <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> it's entirely driven by the character and the voice so i spent a lot of time before i even started to write working on that and and trying to get that right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I finally do start to write, I, I know I knew where we would 
first meet Eleanor, and there's a, a piece of information, again, without giving away any spoilers, there's a, a piece of information that's revealed right at the very end of the novel, and I knew what that was, but I, I had no idea how I would get from page one to page uh, 200 and whatever, so uh, mm-hmm. it was... Um, it was driven, as you said, it, it was exactly that driven. It was character driven, and I just uh, let the character and the voice dictate where and how we got to the end. It's probably not a very efficient way to write a novel, but. Um, well, work for that's... you. <laughs> <laughs> how hard was it to get the book published? Well, um, yeah, that, I, I, um, I had no expectations of it whatsoever. I, I just wanted to, to see if I could write a novel. Basically, um, I started when I did start to write. It was um, my fortieth birthday. That kind of was the impetus for me to stop daydreaming about writing and actually start writing. And, mm. and I started writing short fiction, but I always wanted to write a novel. So um, that was really that was my end goal was just to prove or not to myself whether or not I could manage something bigger than a short story. You know, grapple with a a bigger canvas of eighty thousand, eighty five thousand words. And then while I was writing it, um, I entered the first three chapters of the novel into a competition run by the University of Cambridge, the Lucy Cavendish Fiction Prize, which is for unpublished women writers. And um, I was lucky enough to be shortlisted. The novel was shortlisted for that award. And um, although it didn't win, uh, one of the judges was actually a literary agent. And she um, contacted me afterwards and said that she would really liked Mm. my three chapters and and could she represent me? I said, well, yes, please. Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, let me think about it. (laughs) (laughs) So I suppose it just goes to show it's always worth entering your work into competitions because, you know, even if you don't win or you're not lucky enough to win or be shortlisted or longlisted, you never know who is reading your work and, you know, what might ultimately come from that. So I'm fascinated, Gail, that it was at 40 that you decided to do it. So was it just the onset of turning 40 that was the wake-up call? It was. I know it's a bit of a cliche, but um, I'd written when I was a child and loved it. That's why and cliches then, are cliches, Gail, because they're, they're true. true. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they um, linger. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. So it, it was just that thing where it, that big birthday, that landmark birthday does make you think of the things you haven't done yet that you might want to do. And that was sort of the push that I needed to uh, to give it a go. And uh, Eleanor Oliphant was the end result of that. Reese Witherspoon's production company has picked up the rights to Eleanor. Uh, did that happen early in the process? What was that like for you? Did you meet her? Do you know what's your involvement in that becoming um, either a film or anything else? Yeah, it's so exciting. Um, that happened uh, around about the time that the book was published in the U.S. The hardback was published, so that's a year ago, mm-hmm. almost. And um, did you feel like you won the lottery? <laughs> It feels that, well, it's just so exciting. It's yeah. Just, you know, it's just something you would never uh, dream of happening. That, As I say, I didn't really even expect the book would be published, let alone someone might be interested in making a movie out of it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's very early stages in the whole process of that coming to fruition, but I'm, I'm just so excited to see what happens next. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. And do you think you would write the screenplay? No, I'm not going to write the screenplay um so as I say, I'm really excited to see what happens with it, and I'm I just I'm in awe of 
what actors can do in terms of taking yeah. a character and bringing it to life and yeah embodying a character so yeah very exciting to see what happens next i mean the success of the book has been gargantuan it has prompted so many conversations uh about loneliness about uh the character do you think do you think this is touched a chord that reflects the number of people out there that, in fact, can relate to Eleanor, not necessarily in the traumatic circumstances of um, her life, but in the outcome, meaning the kind of sense of removal from uh, day-to-day interaction? Um, that's a really interesting question. I, I mean, I would certainly hope that not many people have the experience that Eleanor had, this, you know, the severity of that. Um, but it, it, it seems to be, as we talked about at the start, loneliness is just something that wasn't discussed much. And, and as it gets discussed more, maybe people are more comfortable about talking about their experiences of it. And it's, I mean, it's something that's very common for people to experience, uh, hopefully, as we say, not to the extent that Eleanor does and not for the reasons that Eleanor does. But, um, yeah. Do they... Do you have people, fans, writing to you or during book signings wanting to talk to you about their experiences? Doing book signings and, and talking to readers, yeah. People, people, just, people say they enjoyed reading it because it resonated with them in, in some way. And so that's, you know, I, I guess that's part of it. I think maybe the other thing that people mention quite a lot is that because Eleanor is, um, because she has no filters whatsoever, and uh, just says what she's thinking all the time. I think quite a few people have said to me at readings afterwards, you know, I'm, I'm, I really enjoyed seeing someone else, you know, say what sometimes what I think, but I, you know, I don't, I don't. <laughs> she gets to say the unsayable, um, which I think people maybe quite enjoy reading about. You know, the other thing that I thought you treated very delicately was when Eleanor has to come to grips with what might have been constraining her her whole life. She goes to see a therapist to deal with what you might call emotional problems. Mm-hmm. In writing that, was there a uh, point that you were trying to make about people dealing with emotional difficulties or the process of therapy? Because there was something very tender about those chapters. Oh, thank you very much for saying that. Um, I, I, I'm not. I, I'm wary of saying I'm trying to make any kind of general points. And it was just in this particular instance with that character, um, the experience of Eleanor opening up to someone and trusting someone and feeling that she's able to. It's such a difficult book to talk about, isn't it, without giving the plot mm-hmm. away. <laughs> Feeling that she's able to explore some some areas of her past that she hasn't explored before. Yeah. Um, that really, in those scenes, that's what I was trying to show. That it was a, such an important part of her transformation. And you alluded to, in, this, in the first part of the book, she makes some external transformations to her appearance. But um, the more the most important transformations that she makes over the course of the novel are internal ones, and and those scenes uh, that you've just mentioned are are an important part of that. I think. I mean, speaking of cliches, the sensibility that was hard not to resist as she was going through that process of seeing 
a therapist, was literally seeing a flower bloom. Oh, thank you. What a lovely thing to see. What a lovely thing to see. But you Thanks did. So you just see her. You just see her um, emerging. Just emerging. It's um, yeah. It was. It was a. She was a wonderful character to write. It was. It was a, a huge challenge. But I. I found the process just incredibly enjoyable writing the whole thing start to finish yeah well i fell in love with her and oh thank you i i, I normally like really dark books that end badly <laughs> but i found myself uh resisting that and you know and feeling i finished the book feeling just good about mankind or humankind well, um, that, what a lovely thing to say. That's um, as a writer, you you can't hope for anything better anything. than that. <laughs> so, what are you working on now? I'm working on a new novel now. Um, I loved writing Eleanor Oliphant, but um, I'm really enjoying the process of working on something new, something completely different, different voices, a male narrator, a female narrator, different time periods. I don't want to say too much more about it um, just because it's not a top secret or anything. But it's, sure. I'm right in the middle of working on it just now and uh, it's probably not the right time to to uh, say much about it until I'm a bit, uh, until it's a bit further on. Well, I bet there'll be a lot of people ready to read whatever you've got to put oh. out there. <laughs> so <laughs> That's nice to hear. And the question I like to ask all our guests, Gail, which will be my last question, is mm-hmm. what is the book that changed your life? It's nice to finish on an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> you thought this was going to be a layup, huh, Gail? <laughs> um, do you know, I'm going to slightly cop out of your question by saying, as a as a reader, first and foremost, and, and then as a writer, every book changes my life in mm. some way, whether I love it, whether I don't love it, or whether I'm, you know, indifferent to it. You can always learn from it and, and take the lessons and apply it to your own work. So that's a bit of a cop-out answer, I'm afraid. But but it's true that yeah. the act of reading, it, may, it helps to make you a better writer, I think, regardless of what you're reading. Well, I th- I think that's a fair, it's not a cop-out. It's a little bit of a <laughs> cop-out, but I think it's a, it's le- it's a legitimate answer. <laughs> Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> well, Gail, I really, we've been talking with Gail Honeyman, who is the author of Eleanor Oliphant, is completely fine, which is just out in paperback, has enjoyed enormous uh, success as a hardcover. And Gail, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us on Just the Right Book. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thank you. Thanks again to Gail Honeyman. Her book, Eleanor Oliphant, is completely fine, is available now in paperback. And please continue to send us your notes. You can email us at info at com or message us on our Facebook page. Just the Right Book Podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Our original music was created by Mark Berman. Our producer is Christina Torres. And our audio engineer is Pat Keogh. Thank you all so much for listening.